welcome once again to a pain in the glass podcast this is your host bill shearhart national coach with curling canada a pain in the glass podcast is sponsored by canada curling stone and comes to you from the ancestral lands of the kettle and stony point first nations before we begin today i have a correction that i want to add to the performance cocktail episode. I'm very pleased that so many of you downloaded that particular episode. And I asked you to go to YouTube to watch a video. I should have said to watch two videos. My memory did not serve me very well. I remember TBS Quiet Eye as including Brainy Putting, but my friend Benoit Forget from Montreal, my good friend Benoit Forger informed me that actually it's two videos. It's great to have somebody looking after me like that. So please, if you did not see that second video on brainy putting, you simply, as I said, go back to YouTube and in the search bar, enter brainy putting. Both of the videos, of course, feature from TV's MASH fame, the actor Alan Alda. Today's episode is very much a follow-up on the excellent episode last time by Helen Radford, Back to the Future, where she described a number of very exciting programs for young curlers in Canada. She alluded to something called On Ice Coaching. That was an initiative coming out of Saskatchewan, full Marks to my friend Pat Simmons, the High Performance Director in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and in this video, one of the coaches who's very enthusiastic about it himself, Dean Kleider, is going to explain how it works. I have met Dean on many occasions, usually through our U21 Championship, where Dean coached many uh, Saskatchewan teams in that event. I want to welcome to the microphone, all the way from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, as I said, my friend, Dean Kleider. Dean on ice coaching. Now you have to understand something. You know, this completely blows the title of my coaching manual and my podcast because for me, during a game meant behind a pane in the glass. <laughs> you see how important this is to me. But but seriously, what's happening in Saskatchewan and other places in our country is very exciting. So, Dean, over to you. All right. Well, thanks, Bill. And thanks for the opportunity to, to speak um, on on-ice coaching. Um, we definitely have been really excited about what we've been doing here. And I'm, I'm happy to share this with with your podcast and hopefully other people will see the value in it as well. Just a bit of my background, Bill, uh, let you know, I have been coaching for 14 years um, in Saskatchewan and uh, I've been fortunate to be part of 21 provincial finals over these years, or not just the coaching years, but some playing years. Started off playing and losing three finals as a player, then losing three finals as a coach and then finally winning 12 of the next 15 as a coach. And I think uh, a lot of things you learn as you go along really allow you to progress and get better at what you do. And coaching is one of the things that I think we've really 
um, advanced here in Saskatchewan. So to start with, um, I've been to uh, also nine junior or national provincial or national championships. And uh, I always ask people halfway through that competition, if there's any coaches out there that think they could have made even one call during the week that could have made a difference in a game. And 95% of the coaches will agree that there were at least one shot. And most times there's probably 10 or 12 through the week that they could have helped that team. However, unlike most sports, uh, we get two 90 second timeouts that we have to conserve usually till the end of the game, because we ha- that's usually when you need it. However, there are many times in the third and fourth end that uh, a good little discussion could be appropriate. So Think of other sports, um, baseball, hockey, basketball, football. If you ask any of those coaches if it would be okay if you talk to that team just prior to the start of the competition, and then you can talk to them twice during the game, and then you can have a chat with them after, but you've got zero input during the game. And ask a guy like Bill Belichick, um, Sheldon Keefe, John Wooden, one of your favorite coaches, Bill, if if that's how they would enjoy coaching. And I I don't think you'd see many coaches that'd be jumping up and down for that opportunity. So where I see curling right now is is you require a a sports psychologist as your coach or you require a skills coach. So that's a coach that can do most of your coaching, not during a competition, but before a game and after a game and between games is kind of where I see that. So I'm really happy that Curl Sask, and I'll give you a bit of background. Pat Simmons, when he when he became the high performance coach for Saskatchewan, I had been just getting through with my my son's team and having some quite a bit of success at the junior level. And we had a good chat. He was driving home from Edmonton from a meeting back to Regina or Moose Jaw. And I think it was about, we had a conversation for about four hours um, while he was driving, and we just talked about everything junior curling, and I, I think we both came up to an agreement that some sort of more uh, involvement with coaching was necessary, not only to advance the athletes, but to advance the coaches as well, and, and getting them thinking about more than just being chaperones on the road and uh, looking after their their meal plans and whatever else. We know coaches do a lot of stuff, but if you can get the coaches engaged in the game situation, for anybody that's done that, will understand how how much fun it can be to allow you to advance the athletes as far as they have. So, so with that, I wanted to just mention about um, some of the instances that we've had where. So I've experienced uh, times where I've seen coaches. Um, run out of timeouts at the end of a competition. And I've actually seen it in a provincial final. And there was an obvious call that a a player could have made. But, you know, in the heat of the moment, sometimes with these young athletes, uh, their mind isn't always thinking correctly. And they make the wrong call. And all of a sudden, that championship is lost. And you you just hate to see that happen to any, any team, whether you're playing for them or against them. So it really allows coaches to put their mark on the type of game that their athletes should be playing. It's a complicated game. And I think with that support, it can really bring these athletes along. And and I think it showed a bit at juniors this year too, where um, we have some 15 and 16 year old kids that have made it to the junior national. And in my mind, that's only because we haven't been able to bring the 20, 18, 19 and 20 year old kids along fast enough 
with that good coaching to allow them to, to get better. And then by the time they are that 20 year old, um, they're really good. And they, and they would need very few timeouts at a national, but believe me, I've, of all the nationals I've been at, there's always room for that, a little bit of support when needed. So I can hear it now from some coaches who will say, and I think you know exactly what I'm about to say, who will say, oh, may coaching, you know, it's up to the coach to have the players ready for all circumstances. And if they make mistakes on the ice, that's how you learn. And so if I'm a if I'm a really good coach, I can outcoach the other coach and have my team more prepared. Neanderthal thinking, I would suspect it might be your response, but what would be your response to that? Absolutely. And that is that is one of the traditional questions that gets asked about this. And I would agree that, yes, why, why shouldn't a coach be able to impact the game? They do in every other sport. And, and there are situations where that athlete just you may have rehearsed every possible situation that you could have done. There are some teams that are ready to do that. If we're, if we're in this situation, we do that. If we're in that situation, we do this. But at the same time, I think things change during the game that all of a sudden, okay, I haven't seen that. What do I do next? And for a, a good coach that's been around for a lot of years can handle that situation and go, Hey guys, no, you selling the farm right yet. It's only the third end. Let's pull back the reins here a bit. Your, your manual might say we should do this, but this is probably a better call in this situation because of that's where we are in the game. So I just think it changes so much during the game. And there is kind of an intermediate step in some instances where when we're at a national, as we were in Stratford a few weeks ago, because you're not really on the ice, but you're down at ice level, you have an opportunity to speak to the team at least between each end. And I know, and I'm speaking very personally, and people I think know what I'm about to say, as I've said to some of our officials and, and our rules makers, you give me a chance to talk to my team between every end and I'll give up all my timeouts. I, I think that's a very appropriate way for a, a coach to interact with the players. But... You made a very good point in the coach's lounge when you made this presentation that there's all sorts of instances that happen in the moment. And those can be lost even later, you know, between ends. So speak to that aspect of it, because that made a big impression on me when you said that. Yeah, you know, uh, and and just to, not to disagree with you, Bill, but in, in my mind, I would prefer to have access to the team during the end, not between ends, because we've already rehearsed what our end plan is going to be. Um, it's nice to hear them talk about it. And that's, I can get into a bit about what we do in Saskatchewan, how we handle that is, is that we do have a one minute between ends that we can stand with the team. We can, I, you can choose to listen to your athletes develop their end plan, or you can help support it if needed, depending on where they are in their game strategy planning. And then you get to walk down to the other end and get this bill. We get to be at the end of each. So we can actually see what the rock look, what the house looks like each, each end versus, you know, even at nationals, we sit at one end, we can't see the other end. We don't really know what's going on, what the angles are, how we could help. 
uh, the drag effect, if we need to talk about that, you know, there's lots of stuff that you don't even get to, to, uh, to help the team with at all. Oh, I'm not offended if you disagree. And, and by the way, I'm a convert. I mean, I really understand because it's not about the coaching. It's about the learning that takes place for the athletes. And when you made that presentation and you mentioned the impact that you can have right when it happens, that that supersedes any kind of a review, whether it's after the end or heaven forbid, it might be something in the first, second or third end. And you don't get to talk about it for, you know, two hours later. I mean, that time gap is, is huge. It is. And, you know, and over the, the 14 years, we've managed that um, with the curl coach app where I, I can't coach and do that. There's some coaches seem to be able to do that, but uh, that's not possible for me to do that. So I've always had an assistant that would chart every shot of every game. And then I would just make a note of what shot I would want to talk about after the game or a couple shots. So we really are efficient at going back and reviewing that game. But I tell you, when we do on ice coaching, we have very little that we have to go back to on that curl coach app because we've addressed almost all the situations during the game. Does all these coach interactions slow the game down, Dean? That's a really good question because that's what most people would think. However, what we did in Saskatchewan is we added four minutes to the thinking time. There wasn't a team that even, and then, so all your interventions, which you had two per end, your clock keeps running. So if you want to take 10 minutes for a timeout, you're welcome to, but you're going to lose 10 minutes of your thinking time. So what with that, that made sure that coaches would act quickly and help help the team get through whatever they need to. And we had tons, every team had tons of time come the end of the game, more so than if they were playing men's and ladies, more so if we played the old rules, because I'll tell you what happens with junior curling is that they're not so put the broom down, go to the other end and shoot, which I think, Bill, you would agree when you watch a skip that does that, broom down, go down and shoot, broom down, you, you know they're confident, they're, they're in a flow pattern, they're throwing good, they understand the game strategy where they're at. That's what we teach our athletes, do that. Put the broom down, go call a shot, but we'll be there if there's a need of an intervention. We got two per end. We can, we can make a quick intervention and not really, not really abrupt the, the flow of the game that, that much. I know one of the things that we talk about in the coaches lounge and almost every year we have this discussion that uh, now we're talking just the traditional timeout that two things happen. <laughs> Neither one of them are very good. The number of times the shot is missed. <laughs> now that doesn't mean that something wasn't learned. In fact, if the shot was missed, maybe there's even more learning, but also I'm, I've always been concerned about injecting myself into the rhythm of the game. Even behind a pane in the glass, <laughs> there's that catchy phrase again, Dean. But when I'm behind that pane in the glass, that really insulates me from that flow, that rhythm. I can read body language and I can have a pretty good idea of how things are going. But when I'm right out there on the ice... Now I'm in the flow of the game. And that's what's really exciting to me about this initiative is because I'm now in that flow. And so if I have a coach in intervention or interaction, it's, it's going to be 
appropriate in the flow of that game. I'm always going to be aware of that and make sure that I don't disturb it where my timeout from behind that pane in the glass might do exactly the opposite. And it's not always just about strategy. It might be something about team dynamics or whatever. Now, we do have our fair play timeouts that if an athlete is uh, overwhelmed, shall we say, by what's happening on the ice. Of course, we we did always have that, but but just being out because they're they're your people. <laughs> you know them in the competitive environment better than anybody else. So maybe you could speak to that aspect of coach intervention. Yeah, for sure. There's there's a big benefit in having the opportunity to say in between a, a sixth end, just after you gave up a steal of two or something just to be able to say a couple of words to bring that team back um, to where they need to be, you know, and, and have them ready to go for the next end versus maybe they, they don't come together as easy that way. Or so you, you really have an opportunity to just continue to, to keep that team involved and into the game. And I know this initiative has the good housekeeping. there's first day with the new teeth again (laughs) the good housekeeping seal of approval from curling canada because helen radford has spoken about this how how is it spreading across the land as we're talking here today you know i think the the input i got from most of the coaches at the strat in stratford there at the junior nationals that they were excited about it they didn't even know there was something like this happening i know that alberta has done it uh, this year in the pilot project, doing it slightly different than the way we have. I think they had only uh, two interventions per end at U18 and one intervention per end at U21. So it's a little bit different. And uh, But I, I don't know that there's a coach in Saskatchewan that has been involved in this now for the three years that we've been doing this that would say, I don't like this, we should go back. In fact, I think you're going to see some coaches that interact a whole bunch, some that interact very, very little. And that's, and that's the coach's preference as to how much they want to be involved. They also have the opportunity to sit on the warm side of the glass if they choose. If they don't think, like you said, Bill, maybe a bit of the old school, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt the flow. But b- believe you me that this flow becomes part of the coach as well in the game. And, and they get used to that. Not that, And some might say, well, they're getting too reliant on the coach. They don't think for themselves. Well, if that's the case, then the coaching has to be adjusted because you still have to allow the athlete to call the game and to be in that flow. You're only there to, to help them out when maybe necessary. Yeah, and just some of the other benefits, Bill, I think that, that we're seeing from this, you know, is uh, more engagement, hearing your team's communication, you know, the problem-solving discussion that they have. Some some teams elected to, you know, put a microphone on so the coach behind the glass can listen to what they say, and then you review that after the game, and that's that's very helpful too. But this, you get it right in in the in front of them. Um, you get more increased uh, coach accountability, faster pace of play, uh, coach retention, perhaps uh, coach attraction. I think you find coaches will find this more enjoyable than pulling your hair out. Um, during the game uh, and you're going, Oh man, if we would have just did this in the fifth end. And uh, so there's, there's so many great things, more of a, a game day role, I guess, as a coach option to, to not be on the ice or use interactions 
if there's a reason or just wanting to test your team. And, and definitely your pre-game and post-game meetings become uh, much easier to run and, uh, and a lot more helpful. Well, what has to happen now from a jurisdiction perspective to bring on-ice coaching to the point where it's not only accepted, but it's now part of the way the game progresses for uh, young athletes at this particular age level. Yeah, I'm guessing it would have to now go to the the MAs and they would all have to be on board to to really want to run with this. Um, I know that talking with uh, Pat Simmons and Carl Sask, uh, they have no intentions of changing um, the way this is being done. It's going to be something where whether we, you know, the argument would be that we're going to do it in Saskatchewan and then all of a sudden that team makes it to nationals and now they don't have the coach in their back pocket anymore. How is that going to affect their performance at nationals? So arguably there could be a disadvantage to a team there, but I still believe that uh, most of the time, the best team that's going to go to nationals in a well-trained environment from U15, U18, U21, if they had all this interaction once they get to U21, there's going to be very little probably necessary anyways if they are a top team. But I believe you me, there's always going to be still one or two times in every game that you could have a discussion. How far away are we from at least presenting this to the member associations for discussion and possibly uh, even voting on it? How close are we? Yeah, I think we're really close. Um, you know, talking with Helen she was at the Stratford National too, and I understand they're in, in really in favor of doing something with this. So I think it's a matter of, I think the Curl SAS program has been sent out to all the, for sure, coaches that were in Stratford and hopefully to the MAs. And the Helen know. Radford, to, so, sorry, Dean, the Helen Radford to whom you're referring is uh, in charge of our next gen program. So it definitely falls into, you know, her, her, uh, yeah, so I'm thinking that there will be something that will happen here next year, at least U18, hopefully right to U21 as well. And and I and I also encourage Bill that we consider it at every level. We we implemented this at a, one of the Saskatchewan Women's Curling Tours events in Moose Jaw this year. They have eight sheets of ice, and I believe when we were out there, there were 12 coaches. So not every team had a coach on the ice, but there were a good majority of the coaches for this women's curling event had had uh, ladies or sorry had coaches out there too and and for me coaching a junior team at a ladies event it just allowed our our junior team to get that much better to compete with these women and to the point where the women were saying oh man this I don't like this coaching thing because these juniors now get an advantage I can't just <laughs> pull the wool over their head anymore. <laughs> Well, exactly one week from today, I will be winging my way to Geneva with our two senior national champions. So I'm going to run this past them. And I, when I get to Geneva, I'll talk to Eva Roethlisberger, who is in charge of rules and protocol. And I'll say, just for fun, we're, I'm going to test something out here, Eva. I'm going to go out on the ice and talk to the team throughout the whole game. Is that okay with you? <laughs> See what she says. But seriously. <laughs> Uh, I think you're right. It doesn't matter whether, you know, you have the experience of a Sherry Anderson, for example, who's the women's team that I'll be with. She's been around. And I think she's from that province, Saskatchewan, I believe. <laughs> yeah, she's a, a legend for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Dean, uh, I'm excited about this, and and I'm an old guy, <laughs> and but you know we we have to remember the reason for everything we do is about the customers, the you know, the athletes. Again, regardless of age, so. I'm certainly four square behind it, and I will wave the flag wherever I go. I hope that this it, it is going to happen, and I hope it happens extremely quickly. So, Dean, on behalf of all the coaches who are going to hear your wise words, I want to thank you for this, and uh, we'll see you again some cold place where there's curling ice. Appreciate uh, you having me on, Bill, anytime. Thank you, Dean. What a great idea. Certainly an idea worth pursuing. And as you heard from Dean, the idea is well on the way to being field tested with excellent results. Remember, it's all about the customers. When I started a Pain in the Glass podcast, I hoped that, oh, I don't know, every once in a while, I know that's not very definitive, but possibly... uh, Once in every five episodes, I would have enough email that I would have a mailbag episode where I would read about your experiences and your thoughts, your views, even though they may contradict the the views that I have. That's the only way we learn is to share. This is one of those episodes where I am very much inviting you to send me your comments about what you heard, not just about this particular episode, but the previous one with Helen, Back to the Future. Let me know how you feel about it. You will get no pushback. I promise you will have a chance to say how you feel. If you would like me to mention your name with your email, I will do so. If you would rather not, I will not do that. Obviously, I will honor your request. My email address is coachbill at hey.net. That's hey like in the field. Coachbill at hey.net. I really want to get some email on this particular topic. Canada Curling Stone, thank you for your sponsorship of a Pain in the Glass podcast. It's a beautiful summer-like day here on the shore of Lake Huron. Soon, time out. That's the name of my sailboat. will be in the water. And I won't be reporting just from the shore of Lake Huron. I might even do an episode from the cockpit of Time Out. Thought about that. Well, we'll see how that transpires. In the meantime, send me an email. Stay safe. And of course, even though there might not be some ice around, good curling thoughts.